KUNFM, live and direct. It's a 82 degree day in April. Allergies are absolutely raging. I know I wrote that in the little agenda, but it is true. It's, it wasn't totally <laughs> scripted. Allergies have been worse. I've been I've been hearing. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of sneezing in the open spaces. Let's say that's that. true. That's why that's this episode true. is brought to you by Claritin. Stay Claritin <laughs> clear. <laughs> non drowsy. We all prefer the non drowsy. But if you do take the drowsy, have a diet coke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, a lot happening. A lot to get to. By the time this airs, who knows? It'll be a but a distant memory in the past. That said, we do have an agenda today and hoping to get through all of it uh, and kept it AI agnostic, but who knows where the conversation will go. So first, uh, there was an article this past week in the New York Times style section, loved and hated by some, you know, I, I am a fan, but they can be very polarizing sometimes. Who are the haters? Let's name them. <laughs> Call them out. The one piece about uh, cigarettes are cool again. We, you know, we oh, man. Have to go go back down there. Throwback. Yeah. yeah. Gen Z is smoking. Narc. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so the piece was called "Is There Life After Influencing?" Um, and actually, pleasant surprise that our good friend, uh, Gen Z forecaster and author of the After School Substack. Substack, excuse me, uh, Casey Lewis was quoted in. But I want to start out by reading you all a quote because I think this is something that we've talked about kind of the uh, curtain closing on the age of the influencer. Um, but quote should kind of help to sum up slash set the stage of the piece. So uh, it's about this influencer and her name is Lee, I believe. But over 40 minute, $40 Zoom workshops she held to guide other creators through the process of leaving influencing. True, fine, she'd advertise the event on Instagram. The existence of the workshop, a small counterweight to the classes, seminars, and boot camps that promised to teach civilians how to become influencers, <laughs> crazy vocabulary there, indicates a new disillusionment on, on the part of even the most pro prominent content creators. So this to me feels less like burnout. I also think there's like a lack of self-awareness here, but um, let me open the floor. I just think it's interesting how a lot of these influencers haven't really thought beyond life after influencing. Almost every job as an entertainer has a shelf life, whether you're like aging out of roles in movies or your voice dissipates or there's just less desire for your music because you can't keep up with trends. The same goes for influencing. Yes, you can be yourself forever, but nobody wants to tune in forever. So there has to be like some kind of, like you said, curtain drop for when that transition has to take place. And if you have no discernible or transferable skills in like a resume sense, <laughs> maybe video editing and dancing in front of like a, a green screen can be something, but what what are your options? I think the options are to help coach other influencers how to live in the real world. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. A $40 90-minute Zoom is like the house Caroline Calloway built. So <laughs> I have to honor the legacy. Um, but yeah, I mean, hard to hard to follow on that, Trey. I feel like I agree with you. I think, I think yeah, and I think this was also my take on de-influencing, which 
feels kind of like oxymoronic in a lot of ways because of that is like stepping away from influencing through influence. And I think like some of that is still maybe people trying to grapple with either like fading relevance or like an inability to kind of think outside of like, I'm going to go on Instagram live and stream this to all of my followers. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think the whole thing to your point too, Eli, just kind of had the element of not so self-awareness that is also kind of like become the hallmark of the influencer age. Um, No, I think it was, so I was just in LA and waiting at baggage claim at LAX and there were like three really tall guys with the curtain bangs and they had the man waiting for them with the sign so you know they're like at least rich if not famous and some probably 12 year old boy went up to them and like got a selfie with one of them so I was like okay they're for sure tiktokers because there's no way these like three teenage boys are just hanging out together on some like extremely good looking football team so (laughs) (laughs) so Uh, the cast of what friday night lights or whatever yeah i looked at the sign banks i looked at the sign of the you know person picking them up and it had one of their last names on it so i was like googling like crawl influencer blah 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 and it turns out it was like this guy named benji crawl and his friend is like Nick Kaufman because they tag each other in all these stories and then I found out that they had recently announced or launched like a YouTube channel together and again I didn't go so far as to like discover what kind of content they create but the idea that I think they're like riding their fame through first class United flights um, as they are you know young and good looking until that eventually runs out is it's it's kind of like I wasn't sad for them but I was just like sad generally you know that like I guess this is like a viable market especially in Hollywood but there definitely is a shelf life to that and I do think it's interesting that there's like seemingly absolutely zero interest especially from like the most famous ones that I've seen to again like learn a transferable skill or something you know like they really do lean into their 15 minutes factor and I'm not sure if you saw Vinny Hacker was just in interview magazine and the headline is like Vinny Hacker is in his sweatpants and it's literally all about him being like half naked and wearing sweatpants on TikTok which is just like this long-standing thirst trap thing so (laughs) again I think like it's interesting that originally Andy Warhol who coined the phrase would put people in the pages of interview in like the 70s and 80s literally just for like looking good or being the spawn of some former celebrity but that has kind of become so prevalent that you do begin to wonder like maybe you've made a million and you can just like make that last but with these kids flying in first class not saying that's like you know poor decision making but is there an investment strategy here all around me (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so i just looked this kid up and he's like jacob sartorius adjacent you guys know that is of course yeah yeah uh regrettably uh i do think it's interesting though because there was also a piece 
in dirt um about like online personalities in movies um and like the more the more kind of like niche online personalities i'd never actually heard of some of the folks that um i'm blanking on the name james jameson rich uh referenced but particularly now when like the balance of TikTok hangs in the air when like this is what a lot of creators are relying on for monetization is like what do what do you do next when you have done essentially like little thirst trap dance videos in your room or whatever and that's you know putting a lot of folks on TikTok in a very narrow box like i don't think that's the whole thing but it does speak to like the longevity or lack thereof of influencing i suppose I think like what's also interesting and I don't know, I was maybe like the tail end of this, but I remember there was a, it might've been a TikTok rather than an article. I won't oversell it, but <laughs> basically talking about VidCon and like the evolution that that went through of like in YouTube days, kids would like line up around the block to see their favorite like YouTube star. But oftentimes with TikTok, like the big subscriber numbers don't necessarily translate to like, IRL turnout or necessarily people like buying your product or if you launch a line. Um, and I think it is interesting because like obviously like Emma Chamberlain started on YouTube, like we've seen success stories kind of like come out of that. But I think TikTok in particular is kind of like an interesting incubator for creator, like creator talent that lives off of TikTok. Like I think that in a way that like something like YouTube has managed to translate. And I'm not an expert enough to know why this is necessarily, but like the way that you interact with TikTok and like browse doesn't necessarily like, I don't know, lend itself, I guess, to like these very deep and profound relationships sometimes. And like, if it does, it's often like, unfortunately, like, or maybe not unfortunately, but it's like a thirst thing. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, and like, that is a very different type of like, career with a very different type of longevity and you are sort of pigeonholing pigeonholing yourself into being either like hoping for the heaven couch next year or like <laughs> what you know like what are the other choices next stop last next spot stop, of the heaven couch like, whatever it is front row at Celine but like that again is like a very narrow pool of people and it's already very competitive you know one um, thing I am curious about is why brands don't sort of create the longevity with the influencer in tandem so there are like it when you compare legitimate stats like if you look at a tweet from say the new york times or a, an account that has a million followers and you see the numbers on how many times that tweet is viewed since it's now public info thanks elon um and compare that to say the number of views or likes that a TikTok gets from an influencer, it does become very clear very quickly that leveraging influencers to sell your product or market your brand is effective because it gets that many eyeballs. But the thing for me is like these creators are only relevant insofar as they have an audience and a brand can do a lot to help build that audience up and become intrinsically connected with that creator. So I could give some examples where I don't want to like out any brands essentially, but I think that like all influencers that I've met or talked to, or even read about are 
really interested in long-term partnerships because they know that whatever they're offering often does have a shelf life, whether it is based on looks or whatever kind of content they do. You can only do so many different types of content before your audience gets like sick of you perhaps. Um, so I am curious why more brands aren't like doubling down on certain creators they know are fans of the brand to create almost a marketing plan together where it's like, we will transparently rinse you for all your worth until we have like created something together and then we can dump you and move on. But like, it's kind of in the interest of both parties, you know? Mm. Sounds fun. I mean, maybe this <laughs> is like, I know taking it a bridge too far, but you know, like the studio system, like early days of Hollywood. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Are you That's familiar with analogy. the studio system, Eli? Give me the TLDR. So TLDR studio system and correct me here, Trey, but it's like, different studios would have like actors who were licensed to the studio. You know what mm. I mean? So like Rita Hayworth was like with one studio. So when they, if another studio wanted her for a movie, like they couldn't have her because she was like with that studio specifically, like cut to today, actors don't have those types of like restrictions on them. Um, but like to Trey's point, like maybe this is a potential future in which like influencers work with like either a specific category of brand or they work with like a certain umbrella of brand so like they work across Unilever or they work across whatever I'm trying to think of another brand but you know what I mean like versus what we have now where like influencers are basically free agents but I think in a way that 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 does kind of undercut in some way sometimes maybe like how legitimate the brand placement feels versus like if you see this influencer kind of continuing to work with this brand like as a fan of that influencer maybe you go like oh wow like they seem sort of like genuinely into this and as like a fan of them I am too you know what I mean that type of thing I guess my, the easy answer to your like hypothetical question Trey about like why why the lack of longer term relationships although i do think some exist with like more macro creators is that like these moments are just too fleeting like even whatever in 2017 which is six years ago and like the internet landscape was completely different like remember mason ramsey yeah the, like yodel kid like gone he did like two he was on the Lil Nas X remix with Billy Ray don't forget <laughs> that please yeah or like the apex of his career I know. or or <laughs> like the the uh cranberry juice guy like I guess what does what does what does a longer term relationship look like when like all these brands are laser focused on like very reactive content you know mm -hmm. which i don't have the answer to but like well i think my counterpoint to that would be the two examples you gave were of people who like accidentally went viral and weren't building a career towards virality where there are a lot of influencers who have been slowly building up an audience and are legitimate fans of a brand and who put you onto something in a genuine way and the brand i think like i was kind of saying can help create that longevity so like maybe not Mason Ramsey or something, but Emma Chamberlain, say she was a huge fan of like a coffee brand and didn't start her own. What if that coffee brand helped to create the coffee together with her? The way I think she did it was like actually smarter because she has thoughts <laughs> yeah. in her head. Um, but I think that like that could have become a huge partnership 
for whatever brand ended up doing it. And even if it was like a limited time thing that just maybe kept going and going, I think that brands are too afraid of the fleeting moment to double down and say like, no, we believe in this creator or this influencer and therefore we will invest in them and come up with something together to ride their wave as they ride our wave. Like brands are influencers in their own sense of the word. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting point. And I mean, I'm going to take a slight pivot from my like kind of shitting on influencers stance earlier in this call. But like, I think it's a weirdly like a self-fulfilling type of thing, too, to your point, Trey. Like, I think if more brands did double down, then maybe the influencer churn would be less pronounced. Like, I think like at the end of the day, too, like brand deals are a big part of what drives this. And so I think if you are able to, as an influencer, operate with like a little bit more security, less of a scarcity mindset, all of that jazz, and like actually think about the type of content that you're making for the brand and like collaborate more deeply. I think you would also have more sustained careers for those influencers as well. Whereas I think now to your point, Eli, it's a lot of like hopping from one to the next to the next of like these already viral things rather than it being sort of like a more collaborative relationship. Though I do think there have been examples of like maybe more collaborative things. I'm trying to think of. Yeah, I think there, I think there are. And like, I'm not going to name the ones that we've worked on with clients, but like that, those would be a good example. Mm -hmm. Chipotle, Keith Lee. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But to go back to the studio system setup, I think also when those stars were like floundering, say it was Rita Hayworth or something that just like wasn't hitting the same way in the box office returns, then that studio would have a responsibility and a desire to really put her in a big movie or like get eyeballs back onto her or like plant stories in the press about her that would make people interested again. So in that same sense, I think brands could start caring literally for influencers in a way that like would help both parties in a sense like if your success is tied to somebody so deeply and that person is constantly creating content about you and your brand that's like seen positively then it could I just don't really see the downside unless they get canceled (laughs) to sort of pivot do we have also parasocial relationships that we've built up with like newscasters and news media and has that relationship as we shift into. Okay. I also, I kind of have a hot take Mm. here too. I think parasocial relationships are unavoidable to an extent, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think that you can be a regular consumer of media and not sort of feel an identification with the person or like, the entity that you are like consuming, like whether it's like a podcast, like you listen to how long gone or, day one FM. or it's like a radio show or you listen to day one FM, like perhaps you have a parasocial relationship with us. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to make it sound creepy and it did. So it was a success story, but I do think that, yeah, it's kind of unavoidable, but I do think that like there are ways to impose like limits on it to kind of, keep some distance for yourself. But I think that the whole concept that like, oh, I like don't have, like, I don't think about people that I follow in that way. I don't think that it's like a matter of choice, but I think that like how hard you stand is a matter of choice. (laughs) Like 
dare I say, but you know what I'm saying though? Like, I don't think that, I think that's why you go back to the same content all the time or you go back to the same site or whatever it is. Like you do have a relationship with this person's work, at least if not them. What's the difference between an interest and a relationship? Well, I think a relationship to the extent that like, <laughs> I mean, thought. are you asking me or are you being like, facetious? I don't know. I'm just like, well, because I have an answer, but if you're making <laughs> no, I'm not. Ma- I'm not making fun. I'm genuinely okay. Curious, like I think that yes, there is a difference between like having a relationship and having an interest in something. Just like I have an interest. <laughs> I know. I was like, <laughs> like whatever. But no, like I think that yeah, of course there is. Like you can have an interest in like a topic, but I think that like if you go to a specific place to learn about that topic if you're being fed back, it's not because that's a relationship i would say if they're <laughs> exactly. giving then if they are giving, giving news. <laughs> what was it in a midsummer do you feel held by him do you feel held by axios <laughs> eli <laughs> uh i haven't the answer seen is midsummer yes. <laughs> <clears throat> i haven't seen midsummer am i missing out i mean you should watch it it's definitely sure. a great but i don't know uh, what do you feel about Mulholland drive <laughs> Yeah, great movie about relationships. Yeah, it took that was a real fucking right turn. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys think that like parasocial relationships, like, do you feel that you have them, and do you feel that they are like helpful or hurtful? That's a therapy session. <laughs> I mean, yeah, what is it? What's all this? Well, I guess I'm just curious. Like, I don't know. I would say that I have a parasocial relationship with, but I think that like that term itself has become people are like, I don't have parasocial No, I think it's like genetic like, instinct that you naturally gravitate towards certain people, which is, I think, why, for example, a lot of news media has built its credibility on certain faces, you know, often old white men like Walter Cronkite era. Um, but I think that hasn't changed. And I think that as we kind of shift into this kind of weird media landscape of only centrist nonpartisan news, it will be very difficult for these new brands to break through if they don't have a specific opinion on anything. Um, Because even the, you know, nonpartisan news that currently exists, like NPR or BBC, or like they're extremely left-leaning, like, I agree. I don't think there's, I think what people say about like their desire for a more kind of like milk toast right down the middle news and what they actually want is very different. Like, yes, I think ideally we would all like to just hear it how it is and make our own, uh, like have our own perspective come out of that. But the reality is like CNN has tried a very down the middle strategy or so they say with under chris licht and they have like the worst cable news ratings under msnbc which surely can't be hard um but at the top of the totem pole is fox and they have the biggest media personalities who say shit that according to like logan like logan roy would say r.i.p stuff that like nobody says but everyone thinks you know like that type of thing so yeah i think you're right you need you need to be voicey. You need to have some type of POV. It doesn't need to be like on the fringes. And I don't think it should be to, you know, attract an audience. But yeah, I think if your question was like, what's the viability of this kind of like down the middle news network? 
such as new media conglomerate the messenger or whatever i don't think there is well any. what's going on with the messenger because i'm not i have not been following that conversation and it has seemingly come out of left field for me totally so the messenger is a new media um company that was started by this guy jimmy Finkelstein um, or something Finkelstein. I wanted to say that, but it almost sounded wrong. <laughs> See, we already um, have feelings about this. He started, uh, I believe he was behind The Hill, which is a politically oriented publication for those who work on The Hill in DC. Um, but basically, he wants to go back to the days of, like you said, Walter Cronkite in 60 Minutes when everyone was watching the news at the same time and they were all fed the same information. And it's very lofty goals. I think they're shooting for 550 journalists, like 100 million revenue. They're doing it only via advertising. So like no paywalled content um, at all. So it's extremely ambitious. And um, I think the goal, Josh, our CEO, Josh Rosenberg, for those who are listening, <laughs> uh, was recently quoted in a piece about this. Uh, and in the piece, um, I believe the editor in chief was quoted by saying that they want to be the farthest thing to the right that left people will read and the farthest thing to the left that right wing people want to read. Um, but I know this is rambling, but I, I'll just to close it out. I think it's getting a lot of attention because it's really difficult to like be a media startup right now. And I think you need to have a like very specific POV or have a you know a cast of journalists that people already know or like you're backed by a petro state like that's pretty <laughs> much it so i don't know yeah i mean i guess i'm just like i'm also whatever i'm not an expert but like it just to me with this to your point it's not a good time like what is that how many people is that do you think that is like so far left that they want to read something center but is you know what I'm saying like how many people is that like what does that audience even look like like I feel like everything that I've seen is saying that people are like further entrenched than ever in their bubbles like are they doing anything I guess to like incentivize people to emerge from their bubbles other than just saying here's a bubble free option you know what I'm saying like which I think is like the weird part with like media startups to me at this like what is the incentive for me to read Puck you know what I mean like it's that like Maybe I'm reading an a author who's like at the top of their game, whatever, you know, like maybe for me, that's an incentive. But like, what is the incentive to, I guess, read behind your ideological standpoint or read beyond your ideological standpoint? I guess. Why throwing, why throwing Puck into the ring here? Well, I'm not trying. I'm just saying that like <laughs> they are a relatively recent thing. And like their yeah. whole plug is that this is high quality journalism from high quality journalists, the best of the best. And like, for some people who have money to spend and have little time to spare, like maybe that is worth it to them. But I feel like making the mark across like an ideological line that like we are so center, you know, like do people look for that? Are they doing anything to like incentivize people to look for that? Because I feel like everything that I see is that nobody gives a shit about reading outside of their bubble. I just, just like without the ideological standpoint, just like purely from a viability standpoint like what's the what's the point of doing that i guess is my question i think it's a marketing thing it's like 
I think it's just yeah we live in the era we live in the post-truth era and like do you want to do you want to read the loonies on the right or like the reactionists on the left neither come read us we have no pov whatsoever <laughs> and like i don't know but like okay you know the whole thing though like everyone says that they like like dark roasted coffee that's very flavorful and everyone in fact if you give them different kinds of coffee enjoys like very watery whatever sugary coffee the average american like i feel like the average american might say that they want to read news with like that's very that like oh the left is so crazy and the right is so crazy and i just need something that's basic and you give them basic and they're like like you give them reuters and they're like what's all this you know what i mean like isn't there reuters isn't there ap are those like so I think we're saying the same thing that like it's just what people say but not actually how they like act in the market yeah i don't know this type of thing like even more than influencers really incites yeah. me i don't i feel like i'm feeling a little punchy well, especially today. when someone who's like a dinosaur of the media world makes a huge declaration <laughs> about how their brand is going to like do things differently yeah so <laughs> I don't see how there's like a gap in the market for this, but perhaps I'll be proven wrong. And that at that at that time, I will gladly dust off my hands and log on to the messenger.com. Yeah. Even like, would you do you have an opinion page as a centrist news organization? How could you? I need bread and circus. Yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> That was a lively discussion. Trey, Clara, closing thoughts? Otherwise, like, subscribe, comment. I'm just hoping through all of this discussion, we've at least got one parasocial relationship firmly established with one of our listeners. So if that's you, please reach out to podcast at d1a.com. Forward this to a friend, like and subscribe. And thanks for tuning in. All right, over and out. Thanks for listening in. Be sure to check out more on d1a.com forward slash perspectives and sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter to get the latest trends and insights directly to your mailbox.